One of my favorite episodes of Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, uh, is the one called The Big Man Can't Shoot, and it's about Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain is actually the second leading scorer, points per game-wise, uh, in NBA history, trailing only Michael Jordan. Uh, but Wilt Chamberlain cannot shoot free throws or anything. He only shot 50% for his career, which is just, if you don't know anything about basketball, it's a terrible free throw percentage. Rick Barry, on the other hand, shot 90% from the free throw line from his career. Uh, and something else about Rick Barry, Rick Barry shot all of his free throws underhanded. He, he took a granny shot, as we like to call it. He once went a whole season and he, he missed less than 10 free throws. So 1962, Wilt Chamberlain averaged 50 points a game, 25 rebounds a game. Uh, there was one game in which he scored 100 points and made 28 out of 32 free throws. Now, that's a 28 out of 32. That's a, that's a lot better than 50%. Um, so what was different? Well, that game and that season was the only season in Wilt Chamberlain's entire career in which he actually shot underhanded. He shot granny style. But then he went back to, to shooting the way he'd been shooting before. Now, why did he do that? This is what he said. I felt silly. I felt like a sissy shooting that way. Uh, Rick, Rick Barry uh, will still claim that his way is the best way to shoot free throws. And, you know, he might have a good argument. He shot 90%. But yet today, in a league in which many players struggle with a good free throw percentage, only two people in the entire NBA shoot underhanded free throws. And one of them is Rick Barry's son. Now, what do we what do we call that? What was it that uh, Wilt Chamberlain was struggling with? It's pride. It's pride. Uh, I, I'm not going to shoot free throws like a grandmother, uh, even if it improves my percentage and helps my team to actually win more games, because I'm afraid of how that makes me look. I'm afraid that that's somehow going to make me look foolish. I won't look as manly to the other players. You know, that this pride thing, I think, honestly, is one of the reasons that some of us don't want to wear a mask right now in the midst of the pandemic. Now, maybe you've got some thought-out principled reason for not wearing it or, or whatever, and, and I'm not trying to get into any of the deep weeds or have an argument. That's what Facebook is for. But, but I'll just give you an example for myself. Um, most of y'all know I serve as a chaplain for the Spartanburg Police Department. And early on when this thing started, I was going down one morning to pray and I had a mask. I was like, well, I'm going to wear this. And then I thought, man, I'm going to look stupid in front of these guys. I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And so I just left it in the car. Then two or three weeks later, uh, my wife Susan was, was making masks for people. And I had mentioned it to the officers and one of them wanted some. And so I took some down to him and I decided, you know what, I'm taking him these things. I might as well wear one. So I put this mask on and I wore it across the parking lot to go meet him. And I was so self-conscious of that the whole time. I actually walked in the background of, a, of an interview on a local television station. I was like, wait, you know, this has got to be crazy looking. And so I've kind of gotten over all that now and I, and I try to wear one in public and, um, I think I'll wear one for the sermon. And I'm just kidding. Again, my point is not so much to make an argument about that one way or the other, but to say, I think our vanity and our pride 
drives more of our decision-making than we actually want to admit. And I, I think pride is underneath a lot of things that we do. And I want to suggest this morning that we all struggle with pride, even though we might not realize it and might not want to admit it. So what we're going to think about this morning is we're going to try to define pride. What exactly is it? And then what are the effects of pride? Uh, and then how can it be changed into something better? How can it be changed into humility? So um, let me pray for us. And there's several texts, and we're actually going to read them as we go, not up front at the beginning. So let me just pray real quick. Um, God in heaven, uh, we have no reason to be proud before you. Uh, and yet often we are. And so my prayer this morning as we think about this is, is that you reveal maybe those spots of pride in our lives that, that we don't see very well, and that you would instill in us great humility. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's define pride. What is pride? Uh, first of all, I need to say this. When, when, I, when we're talking about pride this morning, I'm not talking about the pride that you take in doing a job well or doing a project well. I'm not talking about you being proud of your child because they made the honor roll. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his essay on pride in the book Mere Christianity, which I'm going to read several quotes from this morning, said this, Pleasure in being praised is not pride. The child who is patted on the back for doing a lesson well, the woman whose beauty is praised by her lover, the saved soul to whom Christ says, well done, are pleased and ought to be. For here the pleasure lies not in what you are, but in the fact that you have pleased someone you wanted and rightly wanted to please. The trouble begins when you pass from thinking, I've pleased him all is well, to thinking, what a fine person I must be to have done it. The more you delight in yourself and the less you delight in the praise, the worse you are becoming. When you delight wholly in yourself and do not care about the praise at all, you've reached the bottom. So again, we're not talking about taking pride in a job well done, but what we're talking about is sinful pride. And what's, what exactly is sinful pride? Well, it's hubris, arrogance, um, narcissism, um, self-centeredness, conceit. And in, an inflated sense of our self-worth and self-importance. That's what pride is, as, as we're talking about this morning. So let's look at several texts from the Proverbs that relate to this. Proverbs 3.7, and it'll, it'll help to have your bulletin handy for this. Proverbs 3.7, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Pride is being wise in your own eyes. Uh, thinking a lot of yourself and your own wisdom. Proverbs 6, 16 through 20. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, <clears throat> a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Haughty eyes, one of these things that the Lord actually hates. Um, Haughty eyes are lifted up eyes. Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. It, it involves, pride involves looking down on other people. Proverbs thirteen ten. By insolence comes nothing but strife, 
but with those who take advice is wisdom. A, a proud person refuses to take advice or correction. Uh, Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Pride is the opposite of humility. 2124, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. A proud person is someone who thinks everyone else and everyone else's opinions are always stupid. It's like everyone else is just dumb. Proverbs 27, 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A, a proud person is given to self-praise. Proverbs 30, 11 through 14. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. Uh, pride makes us despise authority. It blinds us to our own flaws. It makes us disdainful, disdainful toward others. It causes us to treat uh, those with less social power than us unjustly. C.S. Lewis again says this, each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. It is because I wanted to be the big noise of the party that I am so annoyed at someone else being the big noise. Pride is essentially competitive. It is competitive by its very nature. While the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only in having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. The pleasure of being above the rest. Pride is about being above others. Uh, in the in the the movie A Beautiful Night Mind, um, Russell Crowe plays this guy named John Nash, who's this genius mathematician, and he's in college, graduate school, something along those lines, and he's challenged to this board game in the park. And as they are playing this game, and I don't know what it was, it looked like Othello or something. Who, one of you guys can tell me what it is later. But they're playing this game in the park. And the guy playing John Nash says something along the lines of, what if my research gets published and yours doesn't? Um, what if I get accepted into that program and you don't? What if you lose and I win? And then he makes his move and he wins the game in that moment. And Nash is just, he, he's just beside himself. He says, you should not have won. I made the first move. My play was perfect. This game is flawed. And he gets up and in his haste, he, he knocks over the board and he, and, he, and he runs off. And you can see all of these elements of pride. You, you can't lose. You, you can't admit defeat. You can't admit you failed. There's the shame that's involved in, in this. And then the other guy in his pride mocks him and he says, ladies and gentlemen, the great John Nash. Pride is essentially competitive. It involves um, looking down at other people. The, the, the proud person is consumed with himself. And the proud person has no regard for God. 
Lewis again, a, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Uh, he called it pride, the, the completely anti-God state of mind. Pride is when I have no use for you and no need for God. Pride is when I have no use for you and no need for God. Well, that's what pride is. What does pride do? What are the effects of pride? Let's look at our text again. Proverbs 13.10, by insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Proverbs 14.3, a fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. A proud person speaks in a way that always stirs up strife. They lash out, they brag, and then they're also thin-skinned, and people respond to them with anger and disdain. Uh, eventually, the proud person can, may pick up a fight with the wrong person, but humble and, and suffer the consequences of that. But humble and careful speech doesn't stir up sprite, sprite, <laughs> strife. It actually protects you from strife. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Pride leads to your own destruction. When you're, pride, when you're proud, you're blind to your own faults. You're blind to, to what you might be doing wrong. You can't admit mistakes or receive correction. Everything is always somebody else's fault and not yours. In the Pixar movie, Brave, uh, Merida is the young, fiery, red-haired princess who wants to ride horses and shoot her bow and arrow and go on adventures for the rest of her life. Her mother, the queen, wants her to settle down and act more like a princess and marry one of the three suitors from the three other clans that live in their area. And it sets up this conflict throughout the movie between mother and daughter. The daughter can't see how marrying one of those suitors from one of these clans is vital to keeping the peace. The mother can't see who her daughter really is and what her dreams are really all about. And both of them are too proud to really consider the other person's opinion, to consider their position. And finally, their anger boils over into this fight where a, a family picture is ripped in two and Merida runs away and she discovers a, a witch who makes a spell that's supposed to change her mother into someone more reasonable who will agree with her opinion. But instead the spell changes her mother into a bear and she is then hunted by her husband who is a great bear hunter. And you can just see in both of them, I'm too proud to listen to you. I'm too proud to think that I might be wrong and you might be right and it leads to destruction. How many of us have relationships or know of relationships that have never been patched up, that have never been made right because of pride? Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. James 4.6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But pride is putting yourself in the place of God, and God will not allow that to continue. Isaiah 2, 11 and 12, the haughty 
looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the, lone, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Well, what's the remedy for pride? Well, we said earlier, the opposite of pride is humility. So the question is like, how do I exchange my pride for humility? Well, what is humility? Humility is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. Lewis put it this way. If you were to meet a truly humble person, probably all you will be thinking about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap, chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. So how do you get there? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to actually see your pride. Um, Lewis says the, the first step is to see that you are proud. If you think you're not conceited, it means you're very conceited indeed. And so we all have it. We just have to see it. Well, how do we see it? Let me, let me suggest a few questions for you to kind of run through um, that might help to, to expose uh, pride in your own life. Number one, um, look for places of, of insecurity because pride and insecurity are very closely related. Are you constantly seeking other people's approval? Are you constantly seeking other people's approval? Secondly, do you need to let people know what you've accomplished or where you've been or what you've bought? Look for self-promotion. Thirdly, do you have a hard time receiving correction or criticism? Is it always somebody else's fault? Four, do you have a hard time admitting mistakes? Five, are you angry and impatient and irritable? You know, I'm often impatient with you because my needs and my time and my point of view is more important than yours. And that's pride. Number six, do you, do you have a hard time listening? Number seven, are, are you always comparing yourself to others saying, well, I may struggle with sin, but at least I don't struggle with that. Uh, number eight, are, are you indecisive because you don't want to make a decision that might make you look bad? Number nine, are you outspoken because um, other people's opinions don't matter? It doesn't matter what they say. They need to hear what I have to say. And number 10, are you, high, uh, are you shy and hesitant to speak up because you're worried about what other people might think? Uh, number 11, is the appearance of your house consistently keeping you from having people other uh, over? Number 12, are your feelings easily hurt? Well, those might be some, some questions to run through, but then try to go a little deeper with it. Try to go, go a little deeper in, and get into some of the roots of our pride. There's a character in Arthur Miller's play, After the Fall, who says this, For years I looked at life like a case at law, a series of arguments. When you're young, you prove how brave you are or how smart. Then what a good lover you are. Later, what a good husband or father you are. Finally, how wise or powerful or whatever but underlying it all, I now see there was an assumption that a person moved on a path toward, I don't know, being justified. Anyway, my disaster happened one day when I looked up and realized the bench was empty. No God, no judge in sight. And all that remained was the endless argument with myself, the litigation of existence before an empty bench, which is another way of saying, of course, despair. 
all of us, you know, whether we believe in God or not, are in a courtroom making our case, working for our salvation, working for a verdict of not guilty, trying to prove that, that I count, that I matter, that I have value. And one of the easiest ways to find that I have value, to prove that I have value, is to find someone I, else I compare myself to and say, well, at least I'm better than them. Uh, David Brooks, in his book, The Second Mountain, says this, all pride is bloated and fragile because the ego's attempts to establish security through power, money, status, intellect, and self-righteousness are never quite successful. We're all trying, aren't we? We're all trying to justify ourselves. And the easiest way to justify myself is to climb over you. You know, the, the best thing on television right now is the Michael Jordan documentary that's airing on ESPN. It's called The Last Dance. And in one of the first two episodes, Jordan talks about the origins of his insanely fierce and legendary competitive drive. And it basically came down to this. Michael Jordan always felt like his dad loved his brother Larry more. He was proud of him. Uh, Larry was, was better at basketball. Larry was better at fixing things. Uh, Michael's dad was interviewed and said one time Michael was helping him and he might ask Michael to, to, to get him a Phillips screwdriver and, and Michael would, you know, he'd bring back a pair of pliers and, and, and Michael's dad would, would say, go back in the house with your mom. You're never going to amount to anything. Michael wanted approval. He wanted to approve himself. And so he was... <clears throat> excuse me, determined to be better than his brother and to somehow uh, get his dad's approval. And he became one of the most competitive athletes of all time. He, he, he was hyper-competitive at everything. There are stories about uh, him losing a game at ping pong and then, then forcing the guy to, to play over and over again just so he could show him he was actually better. They used to tell rookies on the bus not to play poker with Jordan because he would take all their money playing cards with him, he was going to win. His acceptance speech and, and when he was inducted in the Hall of Fame was filled with references to people he felt has disres had disrespected him over the years. And it was all driven by this desire to have his father's approval. He spent years making his case in front of the bench trying to justify himself. Can you and I see that at the heart of our pride lies this need to know that we are loved, to know that we are approved of, to know that we matter? Can we see that at the heart of our pride lies this need to justify ourselves? What if we knew that we had the approval of our Father? What if we didn't have to make our case in the courtroom any longer? What if we were able to admit that we were guilty and that we didn't measure up and that we had failed, and yet in spite of our failures, we were still welcomed and justified, approved of? That's what the cross is about. Uh, back to the movie Brave, where pride has ruptured the relationship between mother and daughter, and the mother's been turned into the, to a bear, and now they have basically 48 hours to break the spell uh, or she'll be a bear forever. And, and yet the, the witch has left them with a riddle 
that tells them how to undo the spell. And it said this, break the seal, look inside, mend the bond torn by pride. The cross is God's way of mending the bond that was torn by our pride. The cross tells me that I am so sinful that somebody had to die for me. The cross also tells me that I am so loved that Jesus willingly died for me. He, he saw my pride and the answers to all 12 of those questions, and yet he still died for me. And seeing my sin, seeing that I am loved in spite of my sin, seeing that I no longer have to live for anyone else's approval, seeing those things will create in me a humble heart that will lead to a humble life. The question for you this morning is, is this, can you believe the truth about yourself? Can you see your own pride and humble yourself and embrace Jesus and what he has done at the cross? Close with these last few verses of scripture. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but who, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Luke 18, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And then Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me pray. Father in heaven, um, would you help us to see this morning that the gospel is not um, that the good get in and the bad are excluded, but the gospel is that the humble get in and the pride, the proud are excluded. Father, would you humble us? Would you help us to see both our sin, and your great love for us. Uh, and as you show us these things, will you help us to stop from our endless attempts to justify ourselves and to instead rest in what Jesus has done for us. And as we do that, will you change our pride more and more? Will you change it into humility? Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.